What's good? Welcome back to Black and Published, a podcast for writers, poets, playwrights, and storytellers of all kinds. I'm your host, Nikisha Elise Williams, a two-time Emmy Award-winning producer, award-winning author, publisher, all that good stuff. Today, we're talking with Candace McDowell, author of Half the Battle, a memoir. Candace is an author and freelance writer and poet from Atlanta, Georgia. She received her first professional publication with Chicken Soup for the Soul. Since the age of six, she's known that she wanted to be a writer. Candace released her memoir, Half the Battle, in January of 2020, which is about her being diagnosed with a mental illness and the struggle of accepting such a daunting burden. Candace says, when the words choose you, it's a forever thing. In this conversation, we discuss the stigma of mental illness and how to combat it. Being estranged from parents, which is what her next book is going to be about. And finding healing and telling your own story. Black and published family, let's welcome Candace to the show. All right. Well, Candace, first of all, thank you for joining me today on Black and Published. Super excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited as well. No problem. So I always like to start off the show and ask my guests this question. When did you first know that you were a writer? Oh, um, I think I was about six years old. Um, as soon as I learned to like read and write, I was locked in like I love books and um, I just gravitated towards it and my mom saw it early on. So I was like the kid that wanted to go to the library like every day. So (laughs) she would take me and I would get about like four or five books every time. And then um, I started signing up for the little summer programs and the incentives that they had. And um, I just started writing anything and everything that I could I started writing like short stories then when I was six years old and um, I remember my mom even telling me um, for like Valentine's Day cards and all of the little cards that you write as a kid um, she was like my cards were never the simple I love you mom cards is thank you for raising me and taking (laughs) care of me it was never anything simple so definitely at age six that's when I knew I, I definitely wanted to write and be an author. Cool. And so then what was your journey to making that happen since knowing so young what you wanted to do with life, with your life? The journey, um, it actually veered off a lot. Um, I was still, I still always had a love for it throughout school and um, it would show up in all of my classes and things like that. Like I always loved Um, English class, literature, I love art class and um, things of that nature. Even in high school, I was on the school newspaper and in college. um, I I still um, went to school for it. I did math communication in college and I was on the the college newspaper um, staff as well. But um, I kind of veered from as far as like being an author or or writing like that I didn't really know 
what I wanted to write about as far as a book. So I just kind of like, I guess, kept it safe and just did like a, a multitude of things. So with mass communications, I would do like the little articles for the newspaper, but I still knew I wanted to be an author, but I didn't know how to get there. So I just, I just did the mass communications. So you went the journalism route, like I'm finding many of us go. So did you work, did you work in print or broadcast? Print. Yeah. And so what would, where did you work in, in print and how did that help like hone your writing skills? So um, after college, I applied to a lot of like print magazines and um, I really had no clue like what I was going to do after college. And I, I started with the mass communication and journalism and things of that nature, and it really didn't pick up. So then I actually veered all the way left and started doing like caretaking jobs and, and things of that nature. And um it's crazy because um, the incident that led to me writing the book is what brought me all the way back to becoming an author, which is my ultimate dream. So I don't think if that didn't happen, I don't want to say I don't think I would ever have written a book, but it definitely would have taken longer for me to like come in and find my place back to becoming an author. So in the in the time that you veered away from writing and were doing more of kind of caretaking work did you still write on the side as like a passion or like a release or did you just stop completely yeah I actually started a blog um called realizing your dream because I took a um a course during college and they kind of like taught you how to blog and I really love that concept. And then I'm not sure if you're familiar with, she's not a blogger anymore, but her name is Nicole Bitchy. She had like a really dope site. I really loved her. So um, I was like, I could do this, but I would just write like just for myself. And um, a lot of people I felt like needed inspiration and kind of like follow their dreams. So I would just write like inspirational posts um, Monday through Friday and just post it on there and put it on like my social media and and stuff like that. And it's like, I was trying to inspire other people to follow their dreams. But at the same time, it was kind of like me talking to myself, like, you know, that you want to be an author, you know, that you want to write a book and you're not sure how to get there, but it's like, just take it a day at a time and just do what you need to do to encourage yourself and, and basically just believe in yourself. So, um, it really kind of like started to manifest things for me when I did that, because it's like leading up to, I think I started the blog in like 2013 and then 2014 is when everything completely changed for me in my life. And then um, that's when the content for the book pretty much started in 2014. So let's go to 2014 because (laughs) your book is a memoir called Half the Battle. And it's Mm -hmm. about, you know, being diagnosed with bipolar bipolar disorder and that entire journey. So what happened that made you say that going through this, I'm assuming is a traumatic experience, led you to say, I got to put this down on paper and write this book? Okay, so 
Um, I was doing caretaking at the time. Um, he had, I was um, caretaking a boy. He was 17 years old. He had Prater Willie syndrome. So it's like he consumed all of my time when I was with him. And it's really um, a lot to deal with. But it was very fulfilling because I just come from a family that caretakes for anybody and we just love everybody. And it, I love the job. So um, what happened was I was on a family vacation in New Smyrna, Florida. And I don't know if you ever heard of no seeing bugs. I had to look them up when um, I found out about them, but um, they're like really small insects and they're smaller than mosquitoes and they survive in the water. So <laughs> we all got bit up by no seeing bugs and we came back like just covered in them. And then me and like two or three of my other little cousins, we had like, severe ear aches. So I went to a doctor against my better judgment. I should have just went to my regular doctor, but I found one closer to home. And then it was like maybe $5 cheaper than what I usually pay. So I went to her and um, she prescribed me a high dosage of steroids to get rid of the, the bites because they were everywhere. So it would, it would have been like a quick fix for the pain and all of that to go away. So um, my mom always tells me like to look at the pamphlets and just listen to my body and all that. I never do it. But it's like um, one day it said take six pills and then the next day five. And it's like as the day goes, you each day passes, you take less of the pills like to just go ahead and get it done. So each day I just noticed that my body and everything I was doing was changing. So it's like I wasn't eating, I wasn't sleeping. And then um, one day I felt like electricity was flowing through my body. and It was just like a host of things. And it's like, it got so bad, like maybe the six or seven day I started to hear voices. So that's when I'm like, okay, it's really getting real now. So um, we ended up going to the hospital and they ran all of these tests and took my blood and they, everything was just coming back normal. So we like, what's going on? I'm hearing voices. This is not normal. So they're asking if we have like a family history of mental illness and we're like, no. And so they tried to diagnose me there and we're like, this doesn't make sense. I haven't had any signs of this, like what's going on. And so, um, they ended up just telling me that once I flush all of that, all of the steroids out of my system, give it a few days, everything will go back to normal. So I drank a lot of water every day and it just, it didn't go away. So I ended up trying to commit suicide in the bathroom and that was it. Like I had to go to the hospital immediately. And then that's when I got accepted into the behavioral health hospital. And I was there for about a week. And that's when it was real and serious for me and my family, like something is not right. So that's basically the, I guess, like the beginning of the book. And for me, um, that's when the denial faded for me because I knew that I needed to be serious about this. I needed to educate myself. There was no denial. And 
the denial really came from it's like um I guess like black families are kind of like rooted in oh mental illness is like a white thing we're strong we don't we don't have this kind of problem and it's like we'll figure it out type of thing and it's like I had to overcome that to kind of like save myself because it was really dangerous um I wasn't sleeping. I I had this idea that I could just save everybody and I could do anything. And I had all of these racing ideas. And if you went against any of that, I would just be upset. And it's like mania is (laughs) the most dangerous thing in the world because it's, it's so all over the place. One minute you're happy, you're sad, you're mad you're frustrated and you're not sleeping, you're not eating, you're not taking care of yourself. And it's just like a spiraling effect, effect of things. And um, I'm just glad that I accepted it um, sooner than later because it it really is a tiring thing. And just to watch my mom like try and help me and I was against her, that, that really just broke my heart. But um, mental illness is definitely something that I really hope that people could really just educate themselves on, even if they they haven't experienced it or don't know anybody that has experienced it, because it's really, um, it's really prevalent in the world. And when I see a lot of um, people who like dealing with the police and and things of that nature is like they're not trained to deal with them and a lot of people are dying because of that and that's really just so heartbreaking to me so all of this was triggered by prescription steroids but since receiving your diagnosis do you did your doctors ever say or tell you that you had something dormant in you that would have caused your bipolar disorder the doctors never said that, but um, when I talked to my dad, he actually confessed that he had bipolar disorder, and that really, that, that oh my god, that really just threw me for a loop because I had talked to him when they first diagnosed me, and he was just like acting dumbfounded about it and when I called him the second time he still wouldn't talk to me he talked to my mom and admitted to her so he basically was saying that um I never wanted to pass anything on to my child and it's like if you knew that why wouldn't you make me aware of that so um he's had it for some time now and um he doesn't accept it he hasn't accepted it and he's been in and out of jail and on drugs and he's like self-medicating. So it's like for him, he deals with it in his own way. So me finding out that he had it, that really could have helped me ahead of time to know in some form or fashion. So it sounds like he was embarrassed to have it. And then to know that he was giving it to you, that he even became more ashamed. Yeah, definitely. So did that, did knowing his mental health history and how he was trying and I guess still trying to cope with it, did that help you accept your diagnosis earlier? No, because I I had already accepted it before he told me. And um, I never 
had shame. It was um, like once I accepted it, it was more about me just taking care of myself. And um, when he told me, it was more about confirmation. It's like, okay, I know the origins of it now because it, it really didn't make sense to me in the beginning. It's like, how do I have this? And other people in my family don't. Like, where is it coming from? So with him telling me, it made more sense. So it's like, I could accept it. Well, I had already accepted it. And then when he told me, it's like, okay, I understand it now. And so you talk about, you know, the mania of it. And then, you know, with bipolar, it's also the mania. And then it's also like those deep and debilitating depressions. And that was the catalyst for you to write your memoir. So how did you find your way between the, the, the mania and the depression and finding a balance back to writing and really getting the story out in a way to advocate, advocate for people to speak out about their mental health? Um, it was a journey. It took me six years to actually write and, and get the book out because um, I was diagnosed August of 2014 and the book just came out last year, last January. So what I ended up doing was just um, like to take the pressure off was gave, I gave myself a two page a day quota. And some days I would write two pages, some days I would write more, and then some days I wouldn't write at all. Like it just depended on my mood and if I was inspired or I felt moved to do it. And um, it's like a lot of the times I was still living through all of that. So it was hard to write a lot of it just because it's like I was depressed a lot of it because my entire life just had to change completely. Um, I had to quit my job and I was completely dependent on my mom for everything, for my bills, for just everything. And and I hated that. And I just felt like a, a kid all over again, just starting over. And we had to figure out the right medicine for me to take. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that took a long time to figure out because your body doesn't agree with the medicine and then there are side effects and it took me almost two months to find the right medicine. And um, that definitely was a, a journey in itself. And um, with me, I'm a very private person. So I don't really have a lot of friends and I keep to myself. So the people that did know is like, I really still didn't reach out. I had my best friend at the time, like she would check up on me every day. And it's like, I was so depressed and I wanted to just sleep majority of the time because for me, sleep was a way to escape my reality at the time because waking up and, and dealing with that every day, it was, it was like a burden to me because everything that I knew changed completely. I had to change my entire lifestyle. So writing the book was like reliving everything all over again and it definitely was a process but um eventually I just started to see things differently and what I realized was because I love reading I I was searching for a book that could help me kind of cope and like get some kind of clarity and I could not find like a a mental health book or a mental illness book that 
was like, I'm just like you. And that's what I wanted. Something is like, it's going to be okay. So that's when I was like, this is the book that I've been waiting to write. Let me tell my story so somebody else can see that. It's not the end of the world. It's definitely a journey. It's definitely hard, but you can overcome this. So that's why I was like, I have to write this book. I have to tell the truth that it's not pretty. Um, there's a lot going on in this book. Um, and I just want to just inspire people and let them know you can overcome this just because you have a mental illness is not the end of the world. And you can still live a beautiful life in spite of it. And so you wrote the book that you needed for yourself in that time. Absolutely. All right. I'm going to have you read from Half the Battle. I'm going to tee it up with the description and then you can take it away. So Half the Battle is about Candace's journey of being diagnosed with bipolar disorder after taking a prescribed high dose of steroids. Read along as Candace fights through a psychotic break, denial and eventual acceptance as her entire lifestyle changes rapidly. Three failed suicide attempts, a bad breakup, and two stays at a behavioral health center bring everything to the forefront. Ultimately, Candace finds strength from within beyond anything she'd ever imagined. Go ahead. Chapter one, the transition. I've been taking this prednisone, six pills the first three days, four for three days, two, you get the point. Throughout this week, I haven't been feeling like myself. I feel loopy, spacey, and it feels like bolts of electricity are flowing through my body. Coffee and green tea from Panera Bread only make it worse. My heart seems to be beating faster, a lot faster than normal. Racing thoughts begin to consume me. I'm also starting to worry more. All while I'm continuing my day-to-day routine, gym in the morning, posting on my blog for the day, and working. I work as a caretaker slash companion for a teenage boy named Grant who suffers with Prader-Willi syndrome. Though it can be very challenging at times, I love my job and more importantly, I love Grant. This job requires me to always stay on my toes. So the sudden burden of adrenaline or so I thought wasn't a big deal to me. I thought nothing of it. Just felt like I was transitioning, especially since I've had my eye on this job that I was sure was mine. You couldn't tell me this job wasn't perfectly sculpted for me. I found out about it via my friend Erica, who had told me about another job. I just so happened to stumble upon the job of my dreams while doing so. And ever since I've applied, I visited the site religiously to see if there were any updates. This wasn't your ordinary job. It was a mass communications job for which I majored in college. The starting salary was nice, located in downtown Decatur, and it was just the break I'd been searching for. I even printed out my application and wrote the, wrote the letters mine with the help of a bold red Sharpie. I even got ahead of myself, making plans to rent a corporate apartment in downtown Decatur, as well as get my dream car, a Kia Soul, on which I wanted my cousin Fred to do a custom paint job of gold once I got it. Needless to say, my no bites began to diminish and my skin got clear by the day. I didn't think anything of it, even though my thoughts were still racing. I eventually told my mom on the way to our fitness class, who being the worrywart she is, encouraged me to pay attention to my body, which I didn't. 
I don't feel right. What's going on? She asked, concerned. I feel like volts of electricity are running through my body. Are you taking that medicine correctly? She asked, glancing at me while driving. Yes, mom. I say with a deep sigh and an eye roll. You worry too much. It's not that serious. Are you sure? Yes, I'm just excited about this new job I applied for. Okay, hopefully this workout will take care of that and you can get all that energy out your system. A few days later, I had a follow-up appointment with an ear specialist. He said my ear was fine and he didn't understand why my doctor had prescribed such a strong steroid. He said if it were him, he wouldn't give me something. He would give me something less harsh. But he quickly changed the subject because, you know, doctors like to, like to protect each other. I experienced so many things that didn't seem odd or strange to me at all. One afternoon, I recall lying in bed talking to God. This wasn't a foreign thing for me to do. So when things started to transpire, I felt more connected than anything and unafraid, unlike I would usually be. God, I just want to thank you for choosing me. I'm so grateful for everything. A storm began to ensue, thunder and rain, all while the sunshine continues to do its thing. My late grandma Ann used to say it was the devil beating his wife. Thank you for everything, God. I'm so blessed. Thank you for loving me and protecting me. Please let my grandma Ann and Papa know that I love and miss them. The storm begins to subside. And if at all impossible, the sun seems to shine brighter through my curtains and the silence begins to wash over me. Papa, is that you? I asked, eager to connect. And just like that, the storm stops and the clouds open up, sun shining. I feel like I've just been baptized in some metaphorical, spirit-driven way. At this time, I felt nothing but peace. God didn't speak to me in a dramatic way like the movies, but he did leave an overwhelming sense of restitution. Even though I was going through something I couldn't understand or explain, Somehow I felt safe knowing that God had everything under control. There's been a cat lurking around the house lately. For whatever reason, I'm drawn to her. She's mellow and pretty. She has a dark and light gray coat, and she's peaceful. She won't go away either. After picking up my P.O. box keys, I asked my mom to get her litter in a bit, and she declined. When we got home, I stayed outside with Beauty, as I've affectionately named her, because my mom wouldn't let her come in. So I sat her on the hot pavement and enjoyed her company. I also found tuna in the cabinet and milk to feed her. While in this weird spiral of life, I felt like everything was coming together. Almost a year ago, I started a personal blog called Realizing Your Dream, which is geared towards encouraging people to go after their dreams without fear. Each day, I write a brief word of wisdom and motivation to my loyal readers. Late one night, it hit me to start hashtagging all my past work on Instagram to gain more readership, and it worked. People began to comment such positivity, and sooner than later, my notifications were popping. I had so many likes and wonderful comments, it was overwhelming. I felt like it was finally my time. I remember running to my mother's room, bawling my eyes out. I felt so many emotions at once, happy, overwhelmed, excited, and speechless. Things were finally rolling in motion, I thought. August 9th, 2014, I wrote on my ca calendar the day. Thanks, God, for choosing me. also wrote on Instagram that I would be meeting my husband at church that following day. I can remember being so excited, and it felt so real. 
Being the jokesters that I am, my cousins thought I was playing, but little did they know I was really going up there in my brain. What's the protocol when you start hearing voices? I remember it being a Saturday morning. My mom, Auntie Robin, and her friend had just gotten back from a concert. Prior to their arrival, I'd written down some things that I wanted via Facebook. I wanted these things, and I was just expecting to get them for free from God. The whole action you shall receive spill. A white tank top that had God's gladiator printed in gold sequin letters. I'd also asked for business cards. Not to mention the $400 P.O. box I purchased online earlier in the day. Go big or go home, right? After I successfully asked God for everything I wanted, I began to hear voices. And they weren't sweet voices with the heart playing in the background. They were real. I heard voices of chaos, screaming, yelling, crying, and loud noises. Every time I closed my eyes and tried to block out the noises, it seems as if it got louder. At that point, I felt like I had something to do. And so I did. Walking into the living room. Can you guys come with me outside? I asked in a distraught voice, mildly pacing. I have to help her. She's getting abused by her husband. Who? Who's getting abused? My aunt asked. The lady next door, I stay pointing. We are all standing in the driveway now. I don't hear anything, my mom says, looking confused. They are all about to be in a shootout. Somebody's going to die. Where, Candace? We don't hear anything, my mom responds. Follow me, I say, holding my chest and walking in the grass towards the house, the street over. Candace, we can't just go up to people's homes, my aunt says softly. Yes, anything can happen. It's not safe, my mom agrees. I have to help them, I say as I begin to cry hysterically. All we hear is laughing. They're playing cards. It's okay, my mom says, trying to calm me down. I ask for too much. I say, shaking my head and throwing my hands up while looking at the sky. What do you mean by that, sweetie? My aunt asks curiously. I, I ask God for a lot of things, and now I have to work to get it. I ask for too much stuff, I say, crying uncontrollably. Eventually, they talk me back into the house, and I cry out of confusion and the continued chaotic noises and voices. I don't know what's going on, but you need to read your Bible. God will send you out of the lion den sometimes, but not like this, my aunt says, hugging me and rubbing my back. A few moments later, while sitting in the garage with my mom, my auntie Cheryl comes out for her usual smoke session. I start to cry again. I just don't know what to do. I don't know what's going on right now, I say, sobbing, my face in my hands. We're going to figure it out, baby. Just trust God, my mom says. I need to go to church tomorrow. I just need to be there. That church won't give you what you're looking for, my Aunt Cheryl says, referring to the church down the street from us. You don't think so? I ask, looking at her through blurry eyes. I know so. You need to go to Steve's church off Candler. I don't know the name of it, but that's where you need to be. Okay, I'll look it up. Thank you. I'm going to go lay down. I say, standing up to leave, feeling a sense of relief and hope. Do you want me to stay in your room until you fall asleep, my mom asks? Yes. The next morning, I gather my family, and we go to the church. I told my auntie Cheryl I was going to meet my husband, Nasheed. Funny enough, I couldn't muster that sentence together for my mother, once or at all. We went to church. My mother believed that the word of God would heal and calm me, but oh, to her surprise.
That's chapter one. So there was very much a sense of trying to pray whatever it was, what whatever it was that was wrong with you away before yeah. you got your official diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So how how are you navigating that now where you have the diagnosis of mental illness and there's still very much a stigma, especially in the black community, especially in the black church around what mental illness is. And it's, it's a demon. It's this, it's that you can pray it away. Salvation, all that. How do you deal with that? Um, Prayer is definitely still key for me. Um, it, It motivates me every day when I wake up. And what I've been doing now is a lot of freelance writing and any opportunity that I get, I'm always um, advocating for mental health, mental illness, um, bipolar, schizophrenia, anything related to mental illness. I write about write about it. And um, I feel like the stigma will always be there regardless. But I'm always encouraging people to educate themselves because it's becoming, um, I guess, more prevalent in the world for people to be aware because I've seen it um, on the show Empire a lot. I love that they're broadcasting it and it's more on film. And it's like people are really aware of it now that it's coming out more. So I love that, but I definitely want to do my part as far as speaking out about it, writing about it as much as possible. And one of your professional publications was with, was with Chicken Soup for the Soul. Was that before or after your book came out? Yeah, that was before my book came out. That was actually my first um, publication ever. And so in your entry for Chicken Soup for the Soul, did you write about the content that's in your book? No, that was just me. Um, trying it's kind of like a a leap because I took a class online about writing and uh, my mentor on there actually told because we had to write like a piece there and she actually told me to submit it and they actually accepted it so that's the first time I ever had anything professionally published in my life so that was pretty neat (laughs) and for your book half the battle you self-published it. What made you decide to do to go on that journey? Because self-publishing is a journey in itself. Absolutely. <laughs> so um, with the chicken soup book, they actually give you, they pay you and then they give you 10 free books. So um, I actually gave out a few, a few free books and then I sold some as well. So they have it where you could actually order extra books and then give you a discount because you're a part of the book. So I actually ordered more and started selling them. And then I was like, I didn't like the process of the like self selling and all of that. So I was like, when I do my book, I'm just going to go the traditional route. So in the process of writing my book, I bought a book that had all of the agents and publications and all of that so I actually went through that process of trying to find an agent and I did everything by the book as far as querying them and everything that you have to do and I went through like the entire book and received so many rejections and I was still 
um, really persistent about it and optimistic. And I'm like, I'm going to figure it out and, and get it done. And um, I really started researching it and just realizing that none of these people wrote my book and they're going to get a percentage out of everything <laughs> that I touch from this book. And I'm just like, do I want to do that? So I actually stopped um, of like reaching out to any agents or publications. And I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I went to this church down the street from me and I talked to the pastor and it wasn't about the book or anything. And he was just asking me, um, what did he asked me, what did I do? And I told him I did freelance writing and he asked me, um, what did I think I could contribute to the church? And I didn't have an answer for him. So my aunt was there with me and he she told him that I had written a book and we just started talking about it. And he said, I have somebody for you. So he showed me his book that he self-published and I loved it. And he gave me the lady's number and everything just fell completely into place. And when stuff like that happens is I always feel like it's from God. Like she helped me with everything. And it was like a trusting from the very beginning. I didn't feel like she was trying to get over on me or take advantage of the fact that I had no clue what I was doing and everything just fell into place as far as her editing it and um collaborating with me with the layout of the um the cover and everything so it just made sense for me to self-publish after that it all just lined up have you embraced being a self-published or independent author definitely and what what was the biggest lesson that you learned in your journey of trying to go the traditional route and then you know, being put into the right place and position through a pastor and a minister to get your book out? Um, I think the biggest lesson is that um, nothing is in vain. I feel like when something is for you, it's all going to come together in its perfect timing. So with me just um, taking a step back and just letting things happen, I feel like that was the best thing for me to do. And I just feel like nothing is in vain. So how do you see your future as a writer with this first book out and you're doing more freelancing now? Are you still caretaking? Is writing just like your side hustle? Like how, what's next for you? Um, definitely um, no more caretaking. <laughs> um, I definitely, writing is all I've ever wanted to do. So that's what I see in the future. I'm actually about to start on my next book. It's going to be about uh, me and my dad's relationship. Um, I don't have a title for it or anything like that, but that's definitely what's to come. I'm still doing the freelance writing right now. So um, if anybody wants to check that out, it'll be on my website. I post all of my articles on there. It's CandiceYMcDowell.com. And yeah, that's it for right now. My next book is in the process of being written. All right. So I want to do a quick speed round before we get off for the day. So what is your favorite book? Oh, it's called Satin Doll. By? Karen Quinnolman. What is your favorite song? 
Everlasting God. What's your favorite TV show? That's a hard one. (laughs) Favorite TV shows. Can we pass? (laughs) Yes, you can pass. What's your favorite meal? Ooh, anything salmon, grilled salmon. What's the one stigma you want to break about mental illness? Okay, the biggest stigma um, that we're like slow and dumb and insufficient because that's the polar opposite of what it of what we are. Do you sympathize with Kanye West, who is famously bipolar? I do. Why? I feel like he's misunderstood. I I understand where he's coming from, and a lot of things that he does is really outlandish, but. There's a part of me that understands it. Because you've lived it. Absolutely, yes. Um, what's the one thing you love about living in the ATL? The underdog mentality. It's like, you can try and count us out, but we're always going to prevail. <laughs> what's the one thing you hate about living in the ATL? Everybody wants to live here. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> comes here. And if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Hmm. I would fly. Flying. That's what's up. So (laughs) my final question. So you're on this journey to write, 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 write. When you're dead and gone, what would you like someone to one day write about your legacy? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, I just want people to say that I was honest. That's it. That's a great answer. Honesty is always <laughs> the best policy. No, I mean, yeah. it is. A lot of people lie. But um, <laughs> <laughs> Candace, thank you so much for joining me today on Black and Published. Thank um, you. I truly appreciate it. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. No problem. Big shout out to Candace for being here on Black and Published today. Make sure you check out Candace's memoir, Half the Battle. And if you're not following Candace on the socials, please follow her. She's at Candace the Great on Twitter and Candace the Writer on IG. And that's Candace spelled C A N D I S. That's our show for the week. If you like this episode and want more Black and Published, go ahead and hit that subscribe button on your podcast platform of choice. While you're there, leave us a comment, a rating, a review. Let us know who you'd like to have on the show next. You can also follow Black and Published at Black and Published on Instagram and Twitter. That's at BLK and Published. And to keep up with me, Head to newrights.com, N-E-W-W-R-I-T-E-S.com. Or you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Nikisha underscore Elise. That's our show for the week. I'll holler at y'all next time. Peace.